Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Ria, who takes better care of herself than anyone else in the world. Enjoy. Ria, welcome to the Relating to Self podcast. Thank you. Ria, you are a fascinating combination of terms. You're a scientist, a healthcare innovator, a singer, and a yogi. And that sounds like a beautiful combination, but today we are not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about how you relate to yourself. And my first question traditionally is when you hear these words, how you relate to yourself, what does that mean to you exactly? When I hear how I relate to myself, what comes up right away is really, you know, what is my relationship with myself? Um, and, you know, typically I'm connected to my, you know, my intuition, to the voice inside of me, to, you know, my spirit. So I, I kind of, that's, that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Like, you know, what is, what is, what is my relationship with myself and, and, um, And then the first, and then the next thing that comes up is, you know, just how good am I? How, how kind am I to myself? Mm, I love that. Especially the second part. Like that's one I often use just as a phrase, like, you know, I'm kind to myself. It kind of like makes for a good setting of the mind in the beginning of the day. And so that makes me really curious about how you, how you make yourself kinder to yourself. Do you have specific practices of like, practicing kindness to yourself? Um, so many. <laughs> Beautiful. And I wasn't always this way. You know, this is very much the last 15 years, I would say, of, um, of really, you know, training myself. So I would say, you know, I can, I can kind of go back in time because now it's just sort of like second nature. I just, you know, I, I will go to the washroom, I look in the mirror and when I'm coming out and, you know, I blow myself a kiss or I just look at myself in the eyes and I, you know, tears come up and I just tell myself, I love myself. Like I really genuinely have a very, very strong relationship with myself, with my soul. And it, it also like I'm tearing up right now because it actually, um, it's just so beautiful. And, and like I said, it was not always this way. Um, but I spent, you know, years and years practicing and I would say, um, you know, just looking at my toolbox over the years, like I one the one that's coming to me because I'm talking about the washroom right now is, you know, I would say about 15 years ago, I remember um, writing all over my mirror and just writing the most beautiful words to myself. And I remember writing it in like eyeliner and lipstick. And, you know, I was just like, I was just, just so excited to, you know, to start retraining myself. And that idea of like retraining my mind and, and just starting to, you know, develop a more positive relationship with myself. 
um, that actually I think that was triggered from an event that I attended in 2013 um, in the Dominican Republic. And um, it was um, it was an event run by a company called Mind Valley. And one of our one of the I guess the uh, events or one of the workshops um, that was shared with with the group was this I love myself workshop. And it was really kind of silly for people who, you know, are skeptics and who, you know, don't really want to just like join, come to an event and just like blast the heart open and turn the mind off. But the idea was that we were, we actually sang a song about loving ourselves. It was, it went, I love myself. 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 And somebody at the event recorded, um, invited everyone to submit you know, a recording of themselves and then they, they, and then they put it into a website. I love myself.com or something. And, and there was just like, you know, thousands of people sharing this. I love myself. And it's so funny because it actually worked like that, you know, like the, it was just sort of like subliminal messaging. It wasn't even subliminal and that, you know, it was obviously very explicit, but it, I just kept playing it in my head for so long. And so I think that was probably one of the first moments where, you know, I started to shift in terms of, you know, like just rethinking, like, what is my relationship to self? And could it be, you know, could I like, is there is there a version of me who, like, you know, nurtures and nourishes and loves, um, loves this, you know, this inner Rhea? Mm, beautiful. I love that so much. Um, I was a singer in a previous life. So obviously, the, the power of the voice and the power of music is not unknown to me. And I've never thought about combining the saying, I love myself, which I do every morning after my meditation. Uh, but I say it in, in my mother tongue. I say it in Dutch because the part of myself that needs to hear that kind of is too young to know English. Um, but I've never thought about putting it into a song. And that's a really interesting idea, actually. Thank you for that. I, I'm going to think about that. I'm also a composer, so maybe that should work. Well, if you do create something, please please share it with me, even if it's in your mother tongue. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wonderful. I'm, I'm also really curious because you say, you know, this, this whole development of loving yourself more happened because of something that you experienced at this event created by Mind Valley. Do you remember why you attended this event? What was it that drew you there? Um, I, I attended the event because I, you know, there's, I, there's a longer story here. And, and that is that, you know, I started out, I have, I have, so I'm just going to back up a little because I went to the event at sort of the, the, I guess the closing of one chapter, which was that I had quit my job and my, you know, sort of nine to five job. It was, you know, a very good job. My first job out of my PhD. Um, but I did it, I, I quit it to start my my um, scientific wellness consultancy and my coaching practice. And, you know, literally to the, the end of the two week period, I was on that flight to the Dominican Republic for this conference. So it was just a weird series of events. You know, I happened to, I happened to meet somebody at Burning Man. So this, this was the year 2013, where I just, I did a lot of, you know, I did a lot of things that were just very alternative and, you know, and, and, just very, very much like helping me break out of my shell. And the shell was created because my father had passed away three years prior. And I had, you know, a lot of grief that I was holding. And I, you know, wasn't really able to express my grief because I was trying to finish my PhD. Um, 
And even prior to that, I was, you know, diagnosed with fibromyalgia at age 13. So um, a chronic, you know, inflammatory disease that presents as pain from head to toe. Um, And so I had spent, you know, I finally, through my PhD, uncovered all these insights around nutritional sciences that helped me change my diet and started to change my mind. And I was cleaning my my body, cleaning my mind, doing all this work. Then my father passes away. Um, But I still could, you know, that sort of helps me push push me into a leadership role. Um, So I start to, you know, learn all kinds of new tools and techniques to help myself and to resolve my symptoms naturally and get off pharmaceuticals, which was important for me because I had so many side effects from, you know, taking meds for so many years. Um, I developed irritable bowel syndrome as a result of, you know, seven years of taking just a, you know, diversity of medication. And so finally, you know, I had, I was at this place where I did my first silent meditation retreat. I did my first ayahuasca ceremony. I went to Burning Man. And then at Burning Man, I met someone who um, is a good friend to this day. And, you know, he, he's actually the physical therapist for the New York Knicks. Now he manifested that. (laughs) Um, And, um, and we met at Burning Man and he, you know, he, he just like was so attracted to my, like my spirit. And he asked me for my information and he was going to this event um, in the Dominican Republic. And when he got back to his hometown, um, you know, I guess the Mind Valley had sent an email and said, we're, we're looking for, you know, a few more people. We have a few, we have space for a few more people at our conference. Do you have any recommendations? And just out of the blue, he thought of me. And so he didn't even tell me, he just sent them my information. They contacted me and said, Hey, you know, this person's recommended you. Are you interested in going? And because of where I was, like, I literally just quit my job my job, I was like, okay, this is just like, you know, this was obviously medicine that was coming my way. And I really had no idea what to expect. Like I had, you know, maybe seen a couple of ads and YouTube videos along my journey, but I didn't know anything. And I didn't even look into it. I just sort of like showed up. So (laughs) that's, um, yeah, that's my story from, you know, how, how I attended this event. Hmm. Yeah. I I ask because I find it fascinating how, how people start this journey, right? And from what I hear in your story, it sounds very much like it's related to other stories that I've heard. Very often it's because of suffering of some kind. People go through trauma, go through pain in in ways. And then because of that, there is something that they're motivated by to transform this and to create something out of that. And then out of that very often comes a beautiful practice of compassion of self-love and so yeah I'm, I'm just curious about that yeah and I would say one thing that I, I feel really you know helped me with this like I guess attracting these opportunities and saying yes to them was just um that I was really asking like I the one thing I never stopped doing you know even through all of my struggles was that I was constantly like asking for help or for guidance. You know, I, I, I do have a, a spiritual practice. I grew up Hindu slash Jain. And so I do have, you know, a, a prayer, a mantra practice. And but I just remember that I was always like open to guidance and wisdom from whatever, whoever, like if it was a magazine in the corner that had something written on it, you know, and I think that really helped me because I was just, I was just open. I wasn't closed. And so I was able to see the wisdom before me, because, you know, we always hear that, right? That there's wisdom everywhere. 
It's just a matter of, are you able to see it and, um, and catch it, you know, and it could be some random person walking by you on the street that, you know, is wearing something or says something. So I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm very lucky that I, and I don't know where that came from. Maybe it was my father, um, or, you know, it was the opening of my heart after my father's passing, but it was something that allowed me to at least like recognize when there was a, you know, some kind of synchronicity or special moment. Yeah. I like this idea of being open to what is, what exists in the world out there. And I'm curious because it sounds from what you say that this practice of openness came from the tradition of you having grown up as Hindu and Jain and having this mantra practice. Do you think that for someone who didn't have that, what would be a good way to practice this specific openness? Do you think? I mean, I think it's really, it's, it's tricky, right? Because if you're raised in a way that you're always questioning and you're always like, you, you know, your, your default is skepticism. It's, it is tricky. Um, and I have a lot of friends and former partners who, you know, who were wired this way through their upbringing. And I would say like, it's, you know, the, the, the easiest way, and for some people that might be the hardest way to get there, I think is just to put your hands on your heart and like lay down and just breathe, you know, because I think that practice really just allows you to like, you know, calm the mind and just sort of listen, listen. And through that listening and, you know, just hearing your own heartbeat, I think naturally it's just like you're, you know, you're becoming a little bit more of an open cavity um, but I know that's hard. I know that's hard for so many people who, you know, are just like constantly in thought and don't know, don't know a life without thought. Um, so I think it's like, you know, the best time to do it is first thing in the morning when we're, you know, we're waking up from our deep sleep because, you know, from hopefully, you know, the the thoughts don't flood in right away and we can just sort of lay there and, you know, just start to practice this idea of, you know, breath and, you know, just expanding the body. Mm, thank you. Yeah, I recognize that. I have definitely struggled with that in the past as well. I, I very much grew up in a in a very critical and skeptical culture. And recently, actually, um, a close friend told me that they found I was strangely able to be open to the world now. And I think, and also they thought that that was related to having good boundaries. I think the way I show up now, the way I'm able to be open to anything is because I know I can hold my boundaries. If someone intrudes them, I will not allow them. If some information doesn't feel useful or you know, right for me, I will just let it flow past. But I don't resist it anymore as I used to. So I'm curious also in, in your practice of this, this openness, um, how is it that you allow others in that picture? Like, how do you think about your boundaries when it comes to this openness? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, I think back when I first started practicing openness, I just let anyone in. And, it, you know, it was, it's interesting because, you know, I'm sort of like, I'm tuning in right now to this whole sort of like conspirituality movement and all these, you know, all these movements in the spiritual wellness world that are happening right now where people are, you know, like there's a lot of conspiracies, there's a lot of distrust. And I remember when I first started to practice, like just opening my heart and 
like staying in that love frequency, it, it like, I didn't, I didn't know how to, you know, to discern like, like, you know, um, I guess positive energy from negative energy. I was just sort of like, because I was working so hard on staying open and it was like, you know, the first time in my life that I had ever been open, even though I had so many practices growing up, like it was some, the first time where I was consciously being open. And so I was just scared to lose it. So I think back when I first started, like after that event and, you know, just that, that year of, of, you know, just opening and just being like, you know, meeting other people who were able to support that openness. Um, I, probably didn't have very good boundaries. Um, and I would say I, I'm not exactly sure where the shift happened. I think that I, you know, in my journey, I am very lucky that I, I had a very close, um, a very close friend who, you know, just started to question and challenge the kinds of information that I was allowing to enter me. So it was like very lucky. I think it had to do with my support system where, you know, people were sort of like really attracted to my, you know, like, because I'm a scientist. So it was very like shocking, you know, to also like for my fellow scientists to be like, whoa, like Rhea's like, you know, Rhea's living in a completely different world right now. And so they just couldn't understand me and they weren't willing to, they didn't, they didn't even, they didn't even want to come and challenge me, but it was, you know, this one really close person to me started to challenge me and started to, you know, ask me for just like, you know, I think, I think deep down, I, I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to please, I wanted to make sure I pleased the people around me. So mm-hmm. when I was challenged, um, in that way, you know, I think it just forced me to start to sort of rethink, um, you know, like, how do I now, how do I now make sure that I'm like opening and closing this valve um, when, you know, when necessary and starting to flex that muscle a little, little bit so that I'm not just like constantly allowing, like, start, like just basically being gullible and letting everything just flow through me and, um, and you know, potentially eat at me. And, um, and also, you know, push people away who I really, you know, I really value. And, um, and so I think it was, yeah, I really do think it had to do with, you know, these close people who were just sort of challenging me. And then I started to attract, um, practitioners who were teaching me about boundary work. And I started to, I remember I did this one, I I did this one women's group where, you know, one of our practices was we just had to look in front of the, we just had to sit in front of the mirror and say, no, you know, no, no, I will not X. No, I will not X. And just sort of like repeat over and over and over whatever came through. And so I actually had to, you know, again, like flex my boundary muscle and work on, you know, what does it mean to be discerning again? What, you know, knowing that my, not my, my, my natural default is, you know, to be open. Cause I think that was the switch, right? Like I started out, started off as a major skeptic, you know, always sort of like keeping things out until I felt like I had done, you know, so much research and felt so comfortable to be able to welcome something in. And, you know, and then I was able to move to that place of, okay, what if I like, I'm open to just entertaining different realities and, um, and opinions and ideas. And then, you know, and then, and then tuning into my body to when it doesn't feel right. Uh, Because at the end of the day, I think our body knows, like when there's information that, you know, that we're, 
that we're met with that like that is not that is not you know healthy information i do believe that like i i I think and i hope and i i believe that our body tells us like there's red flags that go up but often you know we're just like too busy thinking to be able to recognize that Mm, yeah that's really interesting i I think I agree, but for me, it's less about the information itself and more about like the mode of communication. Like there's some heuristics that I use now. And it's something like if someone else tells me how I feel, or if they tell me what I should do, or if they tell me what I should buy, then I'm naturally skeptical. I'm like, wait a second, why is this person telling me how I feel or what my experience is like or what I should do? That's my prerogative. I'm very happy with people giving me information in a way that is more like, you know, I believe this and I think this may be helpful. Maybe you should look at it, you know, just like putting yeah. it out there. But yeah. if if people are being manipulative or forceful, and that's very often what happens in these kind of like pseudo spiritual movements, then I'm like, okay, this is probably not uh, what I want it to be. So yeah, I, and I feel it in my yeah. body for sure. That feels like a transgression of my boundaries. But like you say, that has been so hard to learn, right? Yeah. And I think like also sometimes it's not so clear because people are, you know, very good at finding ways to share information in a way that, you know, you think you're, you're feeling empowered, you know, so it's like a little bit more passive aggressive. And I think that's where it gets really tricky. And I think that's what we're experiencing right now, you know, where people, there's, there's some kind of like fault. There's like people believe like there, there's people think that they're trusting this particular, you know, resource or this human um, because of the way that they're sharing information, but there's something like there's hidden, it's the, the, the um, manipulative, you know, dynamics are kind of hidden. So it's mm. a lot harder to tune into. Yeah, I agree. It's so hard. I would love to go back to something you said that I think also is very beautiful and important in this work of relating to ourselves. You spoke about your support system that, you know, you learned to distrust information thanks to someone really close to you. I'm curious, how have you built your support system and what does it look like? You know, I have gone through so many, um, like every time I, I kind of go through a personal evolution, I feel like there are new people who should kind of show up. And I think something I've been very good at, and I'm considering it a good thing, even though some people might look at me or hear me and say, like, that's not something I would want to celebrate. But I think, um, you know, there are, there are people in our life who show up because, you know, we need them in that moment. And, you know, we're medicine for each other. And a lot of it, you know, it's like our child, our childhood friends, our high school friends, our, you know, college friends, if we've gone to, you know, for our education. And um, I would say I, one thing I've been really good at, because I think, you know, you create space for new people or new opportunities when you, when you're like, when you clean, you know, when you clean up. So I think one thing I've been very good at is detaching from relationships that have no longer served me. Um, and I would say I've been pretty good at it. Um, you know, some of them just sort of like fizzle and, and die off. But for others that, you know, I was like, they were an important support system for, you know, that time I was just able to, you know, I, I'm really able to tune into like, what are my needs right now? Because I've, pro I've really pushed myself to 
um, to be a good friend and, and a good friend, meaning, you know, I want to make sure that I'm celebrating, I'm celebrating my support systems, you know, highs, and I'm also holding space for their lows. And I think I learned that like very much during my father's sickness. Um, and so I think a lot of now in, in this chapter of my life, a lot of the friendships that I have brought in are very much connected to these, like the learnings that I, that I, you know, that I developed when my dad was sick, um, because, you know, and, and a lot of it has to do with like this celebrating high, you know, being able to hold space for low and just, you know, people who check in. And so I think that's kind of how I've started to, you know, just build my support system over time. And, you know, started, like I said, I've, I've done so much cleaning up that, you know, I was able to like journal and write down exactly the kinds of friends I wanted to bring into my life. You know, and because I, I had to, you know, I had to break up with some really close friends because I just needed them to check in when my dad died and they didn't. And they just like, they couldn't, they couldn't, I just, I didn't even need them to ask me how I was doing. It was just like a hello. And so when I got really clear about, you know, like the kinds of friendships I wanted um, and wrote them down and just sort of like meditated on that, um, I think naturally I just started to attract more of that. And, um, and, you know, make sure that I, I nurture those, those relationships as well. And that I show up in that way. Um, so, you know, the kinds of friendships that I want, like I push myself to, you know, show up in that way for those people. Um, and like I said, I'm very comfortable letting things go, letting people go. Um, when, you know, when it's, when, when I can sense that it's just, it's time. Um, cause I truly believe that we keep, you know, our support system continues to expand and shift and morph. Um, but yeah, I have, I'm, I'm very clear about, you know, what, what types of friends I want to keep in my inner circle and how we show up for each other. Um, and you know, we're both part of a community called Sandbox and, you know, it's been really interesting with Sandbox because, you know, it's like on one hand, when you're together, you know, when we're at these events together, I, I, you know, you're, you think, I think to myself, like, okay, these are my people, you know, we're like, we're going to grow, we're going to grow, we're going to go grow wise and young together. Um, and then we kind of go back to our respective, you know, home countries and cities and, and, you know, some of, some of us check in and, and, and sometimes, you know, you, you don't really check in because you're just busy doing all the things that you're doing. And so I've had to really think through, it's caused a lot of stress in my, in my, in my, in my life, because I've had to think through like, what are my, how, how, you know, how do I relate to my sandbox relationships? Because I think those relationships are very different from my quote unquote support system. Um, and, you know, and, and not to judge them in the same way. Um, and so I think I've had to, yeah, I've had to, you know, I've spent a lot of time um, thinking about this because I do believe that, you know, friendships are everything. I mean, really it's, you know, I am who I am because, because of the people around me. Mm, beautiful. I like that. I would like to also learn more about something you said in the very beginning of this conversation, which is your intuition. And when I think about intuition, I have my own model of what that is and how that works. And sometimes I struggle with discerning the difference between something like a fear response in me and a true intuition. And so sometimes I feel like, you know, this voice inside of my head is something that just 
tells me not to do something because I'm afraid of it. And it takes me a while to kind of like find out if that's the case or not. So I wonder if you have any practice there again to like hone your intuition and how do you work with your intuition specifically? Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes when our minds are so smart, it's easy, you know, it's easy to to think that, you know, whatever we're hearing on the inside is just, you know, a creation of a fabrication of what we want to hear um or what we fear. So again, I would say, you know, when I'm when I'm connecting to my intuition and my inner voice, it's generally, you know, first thing in the morning. So that, you know, again, I'm I believe that I believe that I'm an, I'm, an, an, you know, in a calm and peaceful state of mind, um, or after um, you know a breath work or meditation or mantra practice. So, um, and you know, and then on on the other side of that, I think there's just like we just the way I look at it is like I need to just trust myself, you know, like I when if I'm checking in. And I'm hearing something like, I just need to like, you know, if if I just trust, then like, I'm going to be in a better space. So, you know, if I'm questioning whether, whether what's coming through is real or not, then like, I'm just like, I'm just tuning into, you know, the stress in my body. So, you know, I'm, I'm always sort of like, and it's tricky, right? Because we could trust a wrong, the wrong voice. Um, but that's sort of how I do it. I mean, I, I you know, I try and look for a peace, um, a, try and, I try and enter a peaceful state um, and you know, use a lot of trust. Um, and I also work with healers, you know, who um, I, you know, look to for advice when I'm really, you know, when, when there's some, there's questions that I have that I'm really like, you know, I'm really not sure about. And I'm not trusting my inner voice on. So I do, again, that's going back to the support system, right? Hmm. Yeah. I love what you say about trusting yourself. I think that's such an underrated skill in life. And I'm really curious how you have learned to trust yourself. Because I imagine as most people, you know, that doesn't come naturally because the outside world tells us so many things about ourselves when we grow up. And, you know, it makes it feel like we, we don't know so many things, which is true. But then after, after growing up, I guess you have to learn how to trust yourself. How have you done that? I think, you know, I'm like, this goes back to, you know, this idea of self-love and I, like, I'm, I'm actually proud of the human I've become. And, you know, I've like, i you know, I, I measure, I, I know I kind of like spend time, a lot of time measuring my own personal success. And for me, it, a lot of it has to do with like, you know, being able to heal my disease and being able to, you know, just like wake up every day with, you know, boatloads of energy compared to, you know, being stuck in bed for three, four hours after, you know, opening my eyes because I have too much pain to get out. So I think, you know, I've, I've like, I've honed my willpower um, and, you know, and I've, I've disciplined myself, you know, to completely changing my lifestyle, my diet, my everything. Like, you know, I take such good care of it. I probably take better care of myself than anybody in like the world. That's how I, that's how I, I truly feel like 
nobody else in the world takes better care of themselves. And because of that, I think, you know, when I'm struggling with, with a decision or a thought or, you know, I'm, I just, you know, it's, it's a lot easier for me to trust myself. And so I think in terms of like recently and how I've, you know, been able to, cause I think before what, what, what I, what I would do is, you know, again, I was, I, I became my own coach, which is then, you know, how I started becoming a, a coach for others. But, you know, I was tracking everything. Like I actually had, you know, an Excel that I printed out where I tracked everything I did. You know, I rated, I used, you know, just qualitative ratings and how I was, you know, feeling energy um, energy and emotional ratings before first thing in the morning to the end of day before and after every meal, you know, and this is a self-care tracker, which I actually created and shared with my clients after. And, you know, now I just sort of share it with friends and family, but, um, you know, I, I spent like three, four years trained, like literally every single day tracking my progress, mind, body, spirit, um, because I was just so like, I couldn't believe what I was, you know, what I was, how I was feeling and what I was discovering about myself and in starting to connect with my, you know, with my, with my soul. And like, there was just so many, there were so many discoveries and aha moments that I just couldn't believe it. And it all had to do with, you know, like my diet and, and then changing my mind and then developing all these practices and, you know, and strengthening my body. And it was just like, I became obsessed with it. Um, so I would say, you know, that's sort of how I, like, I'm very proud of myself for getting, like getting through that phase. And I think a big part of it had to do with the fact that I was training as a scientist and I was in the lab a day doing, you know, experiments. So this idea of like being an investigator, um, came, started to come much more naturally to me. And I know that that's like, a lot of people don't have that built into them. And I think that came from probably, you know, my mother and father, my dad was a, you know, my dad's parents were sent from the British, from India, East, you know, West India to East Africa, where he was born. And then they had to flee, you know, during the Idi Amin regime as a refugee from, you know, from his home at age 24 to Canada to, you know, a northern community in the middle of nowhere with, you know, minus 40 Celsius, you know, like, you know, from the equator to, you know, to winter where he had, they had, they had nothing, he didn't even have, he didn't even have $1 to his name. The, you know, they took everything. So I think my dad was able to get from there to, you know, before passing, being able to, you know, become a very successful man from zero to, you know, basically being able to like help his three kids buy homes before he passed away. And that was a big deal. Um, and, and so I think that the willpower may have been, you know, intergenerational and something that came to me through, through my ancestry and through my, you know, through the, the journey of my father and my mother, you know, I didn't even share her story. So they both had these stories of being able to, you know, just like overcome obstacles, like that I can't even understand or fathom in, you know, in my lifetime. Um, and so, um, so I think that's a lot of it where it came from, like my, my ancestry. Um, and today, and, you know, now in, in this chapter of my life, um, because I'm trained in, um, in Himalayan or Kriya, Kriya yoga, I use breath work. I use this. I have this warrior practice. Um, and it's the most amazing breath work practice. Um, and it's, it's meant to develop willpower. And so I, I generally do this breath work every morning and it's so, it's like actually quite an easy practice, but you know, it's like, it's true after I do this, you know, it takes five minutes 
I do this five minute practice, I'm like, I am a warrior. And, you know, and, and I can accomplish anything. So, um, so that's what I do today because I don't have that, like, I, when I think back to, you know, this version of Rhea who was tracking everything, I'm just like tired. I'm like, how did I do that? So I'm really proud that, you know, back then I had that energy and I was like, you know, young and like just discovering and I did it all. Um, and today I, yeah, I use, I use more, you know, these mindfulness and breathwork techniques. Um, and I think, um, you know, so I think I think that there are many ways to kind of like build this willpower, which I do believe then translates to a deeper sense of trust when you're able to, you know, track and record all the little wins, right? Like it's like getting out of bed, that's a win. Drinking a glass of water, that's a win, you know, and like not thinking that our goals have to be so giant, like just the smallest little goals and just like starting to celebrate that. I think all of that starts to develop more self-trust. I couldn't agree more. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing, Ria. As we come to the end of this interview, or of this conversation, rather, as I say, um, I would love to know if there's any questions that you would have liked to answer, but that I didn't ask you. Is there anything else that you would love to share? I mean, I was just more so that it's, it's I'm not answering your question because I'm just more so curious about you and your practices and <laughs> all the questions that you asked me, you know, I want to, I want to know what you do and, and, you know, how you've, how you've developed and, um, your relationship to yourself. So I'm not really answering your question, but, um, but you know, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm left, I'm left with lots of, um, you know, a lot more curiosity about you and your life and your journey. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. I love that. And you're not the first one to say that because I always say, you know, <laughs> this is a conversation, but it ends up being mostly you speaking, which is absolutely cool because that's what you're here for. And I'm trying to develop a new series in this season two, and I've already published a few now where people actually come back and then they ask me questions. So oh, if cool. you're really interested, <laughs> we can set that up. You know, you could, you could ask me questions for, for 40 minutes and then dig into how it is that I see things. Uh, I think I love that. I'm, I'm, I guess I welcome that opportunity. Beautiful. Then I will invite you to do so. That's wonderful. Thank you. Ria, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful exploration of the beautiful relationship that you have created with yourself. I mean, it sounds like you are really on top of things when it comes to loving yourself. And I love that so much. That is so important. I celebrate you for the work that you've done. And thank you for talking us through it. Thank you so much. And it was, um, yeah, it was a really fun process to go back into um, some of these stories that I haven't shared in a while. So thank you for, you know, just inviting me to, yeah, to be here and to chat with you today. Beautiful. Suppose people want to follow you or maybe even get in touch. Where can they find you? I would say these days I'm very active on Instagram. So my handle is at keeping it Rhea, K-E-E-P-I-N-I-T-R-H-E-A. And my website, livingria.com. Um, and if you go to my music section of my, my website, you can um, actually listen to some of my, of my mantra tracks. And, um, you know, I share them all over. Anywhere you listen to music, I share all of these ancient mantras from my ancestors. If you're curious to have a listen. Beautiful. I will make sure to post those links in the show notes so that people can easily find Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too. If you've enjoyed this conversation, 
please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks.